Welcome back to Mundaria Legends. I am your host, Michael Stone. Now, I'm going to do something I am told I shouldn't do, and that's going to be making assumptions. I assume that if you are listening to this episode, you have likely listened to much of the podcast, and for that, I really do want to thank you. I hope these stories have been fun for you to listen to. Now, if you have enjoyed the show, I would appreciate it very deeply if you could leave a review of it. Any short little blurb about why you are watching this show will help others tremendously to better know what they can expect to get out of these stories. Patreon.com is another great way to support the show, as donating even something as small as $3 a month to the show not only helps me offset the cost of producing this show, but can also grant you exclusive members-only benefits. Check out the link below for more information in the description. And most importantly, remember to share this show with a friend you think will like it, because the best way to experience stories is with others. Now, in today's episode, we do have a new character from Caitlin in Eagle Mountain, Utah. Uh, This new character is a little, shall we say, different than some of the others I've introduced so far. His name is Vool, and because of his unique circumstances, you'll hear about him at the very end of the episode, though we are planning on having him come back in future episodes as well, as we continue his rather peculiar story. For now, though, we'll begin episode three of season two, Isle of Circlipsos. Loella awoke quite painfully on the sea floor, blearily opening her eyes. Bruises and cuts covered her body, and a tangle of knotted aches kept her lying on the ground. As she blinked her heavy eyelids open, she only saw an underwater desert, devoid of any life except her own. Turning to look behind her, however, she saw what must have caused the Penelopus to wreck. Huge, jagged columns of rock, jutting like massive teeth into the waters above. Being alone jolted her to alertness as she thought of the crew. Where were they? How many of them, if any, had survived? Would they have woken up at all during the crash? Or did they die in the charmed sleep that Cthulhu had put them all under? Though she had seen a Cthulhu once or twice before, she never had dealings with a Shadowmancer directly. That she knew of, anyway, she darkly added. So, she stretched her limbs, testing the extent of her injuries. She was very sore, but nothing seemed broken, a miracle in and of itself. In fact, judging by the scrapes she had and their largely uniform direction, she was probably tossed out the side of the room she was in on the ship through its window. The throbbing pain in her head, as well as the thick collection of abrasions there, led her to believe her head may have grazed a beam in the window, knocking her out. After ensuring again that nothing was broken, the senator swam upwards to the surface. Once there, she quickly scanned the rocky, treacherous cliffside her ship had crashed into. At least, she thought this was where it had crashed. But with how dark it was... With only the dim moonlight of the waning crescent above her, she could not see any trace of the ship in the rocks. 
Perhaps the ocean current had carried her, drifted her away from the downed vessel. But as she swam against the ocean's current, she still did not prevail in finding any trace of the ship. Loella cried out aloud in frustration, uttering a curse even only a few of the saltiest Miley soldiers back at Cruz would have dared utter. That bug-riddled Cthulhu! She blared over the crashing waves. She was completely lost. She had known that the College of Sentinels, the faction of Cthulhu who wielded the god shard of Nequitha, were infamously duplicitous, but she had never heard of the Shadowmancers taking such aggressive action against anyone in these seas, especially against the Maeli. They usually operated in courtrooms and interstate functions, manipulating treaties and infiltrating foreign militaries. Why a Cthulhu would have targeted her vessel was a mystery to her. Then again, having only briefly seen a few Cthulhu at Maeli state functions, and having only learned of their goals and aims briefly from her tutor, she could not begin to guess why this particular Cthulhu had chosen to doom the Penelopus. As she continued to look frantically for any sign of her ship, she felt a creeping shame claw at her thoughts. Yes, Chiral had suggested she have the ship and its humans assist her in her hunt for Zeru, but it was she who allowed them to come. She had not protested, had in fact welcomed their help, while not considering the risks she was asking them to accept, because she herself did not know them. How was she any less irresponsible than their former merfolk commanders, who had sent them regularly to the front lines in the war? Was her own desire to see Zeru face justice so obsessive that she was willing to pay such a cost to play so fast and loose with so many more lives? The memory of King Aglam's words, back when that contemptible merman was still alive, came back to her. You can moralize all you want, Loella, but at the end of the day, you still think this is all about you. You're more concerned with your own need to redeem yourself than you are with what our people actually need. Loella tried to shake off those thoughts. No, this wasn't the time for self-pity or self-doubt, even if that doubt was warranted. She had to find the Penelopus and its crew. If she could do that, then perhaps this would not have been all for nothing. So she resumed her search. If she couldn't find the ship, she could look for a few survivors at the least. She scanned the rock face again more carefully, looking higher up the cliffside as well, in case some of the survivors had begun climbing to the flat land above. And while she did not spot any small human figures, she did see something that caught her eye. Wooden beams, planks, what looked like what had once been the prow of the Penelopus, judging from the more curved nature of several of the planks and the single long broken black beam wedged in the rock, were now nestled against the unyielding rock of the island. This was where the Penelopus had crashed then. And if the rest of the ship wasn't here, then that meant they must be somewhere else. They must have sailed away. Her hope rekindled, Loella thought quickly. The ship would have still been too heavily damaged for it to go far, and they would have gone with and not against the wind. 
So Loella swam back a ways to the right, from where she had originally come, this time keeping her head above water to continue her search for her crew and the ship. Eventually, her diligence was rewarded. The Penelopus had been brought to a small bay. The cliffs were still very steep here, but the ship was nicely nestled away from the winds, tucked away as it was in the rocky, saltwater-flooded enclosure of rock. The ship looked largely intact even, with only severe damage to its bow and a few breaches in the hull, all of which had a coating of ice covering them. The crew did awake from their illusions then, and had brought the ship here, and the hydromancers had even patched some of these holes, but then what? There were no crewmen tending to the ship, no one visibly beginning the actual repair work. The only place any of them could have gone would have been a small cave, the mouth of which was only a few decapaces from the ship. Why the crew would have abandoned ship, especially when the damage had been so fortunately light, yet its need for immediate repair so clear, was yet another mystery to be solved. Loella scanned the ship again, making sure it really was the ship she had sailed on. But this was no dream, and Loella was almost certain it would take a large group of shadowmancers to create the image of a ship like what she was seeing. Shadowmancers were wielders like her, after all. Though each wielder was quite powerful, they were not without limit and scope in what they could do. As she approached the water-flooded cavern, she stopped again. How could she know that this cavern wasn't an illusion of the Cthulhu? It was considerably smaller in size, and could be disguising some sort of trap. For all Loella knew, the Cthulhu was luring her into the mouth of some sort of sea monster. Again, she cursed the unnamed Cthulhu under her breath. Illusions. Hallucinations. Perhaps the Dayan really had gone mad, as someone said. What kind of god would give such power to a race so well known for its proclivity for deception and manipulation? When a nation could control what the rest of the world could see or sense, it was easy to understand how the College of Sentinels, the faction of Cthulhu most noted for their shadowmancy, had come to be so influential in Mundaria. But that didn't mean their illusions were all perfect. She had broken through her first illusion with logic, and so there had to be a way to reasonably proceed with that same tactic here. If the Cthulhu was creating this illusion, it likely would have been smarter to have at least a mirage of a human survivor approach her and give her some kind of satisfactory answers. The ambiguity of the situation Loella saw didn't seem to be the carefully concocted mirage of a murderous Cthulhu. She wasn't feeling compelled to go into the tunnel either, and there were no sea monsters nearby that would reliably serve a Cthulhu anyways, especially not any disciplined enough to stand motionless and wait for prey to wander in. If this was some kind of trap, it was left largely to chance whether it would have been successful or not. So, slowly, Loella dived just beneath the surface of the water and proceeded into the cave. No jaws came crashing down, no sudden avalanche of boulders or any other trap she could have imagined triggered. So carefully, 
Loella swam forward, alert and wary. Her hydromancy was especially helpful here. The water-filled cave was very dim, making navigation by sight impossible, even if she had been in a situation where she could trust her normal senses. She doubted very much that the Cthulhu could alter her sense of the waters around her, however. The use of her god shard, like any other, took a good working knowledge of how water works. And, not being hydromancers themselves, the Cthulhu had no reason to be able to understand how exactly to create illusions that would affect her hydromancy as well as her other senses. Eventually, Loella did see a light in the cave, growing brighter and brighter as she neared its source. A fire, at least from what she could see of the dancing patterns of red and orange that she saw on the walls of the cave above the water. Carefully, she stuck her head out to see what was nearby. Her first, most immediate impression of the scene she saw was that this could be too stupid and strange to be an illusion, disturbing though it was. For there on the campfire lit shore in the cave were many of the sailors of the Penelopus, but all of them were on all fours. No one was sitting or standing, but they were all making the most curious sounds with their noses, like they were snorting. Loella recalled a brief visit to one of the human agricultural colonies. The crew sounded very much like the hideous, bloated quadrupeds she would see there from her palatine. Pigs. That's what they were doing. They were acting like pigs. Had the circumstances been a little different, Loella would have laughed. Of all the sights she had ever seen as a representative for her people, and the astonishing powers she saw manifest on the island of Cruz, watching her crew of grown adult men throwing themselves so fully and perfectly into the part of swine was the last thing she would have suspected to see. But, as she looked at her men, their eyes devoid of any spark of sentience, dimly gazing forward, fighting for a place at what was apparently a trough, the impossible scene disgusted her too deeply to tempt her to laugh. The source of this bizarre scene was before her, standing at the edge of the shoreline, his back turned to her. The mess of tentacles seeping out from under his robes, as well as his large octopus-like head, gave him away. And, as he spoke, talking seemingly to the crew of the Penelopus, she recognized his voice instantly as the same one of the Cthulhu whose image she had seen on the ship. Humans, so happy, so content. This is what you wanted, isn't it? A simple life of unadulterated pleasure. His deeper, sonorous voice filled the cave with his echoes. Eating, consuming, succumbing to the most simple desires. You had all been waiting for something like this, yes? This much I have learned from the texts. If there is one thing your kind is good at, it is overconsumption. No matter how degrading it is, once someone comes along with an excuse, or, in this case, a god-shod-induced hallucination, 
you jump at the chance to indulge yourselves. I could almost pity you. He is distracted, Loella thought. He is busy forcing this, this curse on my men. He doesn't know I am here. And so, Loella acted on instinct, afraid to let the opportunity pass. She threw a wall of water at the Cthulhu, spinning him around to face her and freezing him much like she did the Malinot at Regnath. The Cthulhu gave an odd yell, his orange eyes widening in alarm as the chunk of ice he was now encased in froze itself to the ground where he stood. The Cthulhu took one look at the mermaid before him, again with shock palpable on his face. Loella froze more water near her into a hard, thin spear of ice. She held it in her hand, ready to throw it at the Cthulhu's face. Almost immediately after she had done so, however, a voice very different from the Cthulhu's sounded from his mouth. Wait! No! It's me, Senator! And as Loella watched, she saw the Cthulhu's face dissolve away into smoke, leaving behind the familiar black and gray bearded face of Captain Ryklow. Loella's spear faltered for a moment. In panic, she looked back at the men. She hadn't thought to see who of the crew was there. Was Captain Ryklow with the others mucking about in the trove before? If his beard had been there before among the other men, it was gone now. All the crew had instead collapsed, either falling back asleep on the ground where they were, or gurgling and coughing themselves awake in the slop of the trough, spitting and cursing. The most alert of the crew were rubbing their heads, too dizzy and disoriented from the hallucinatory nightmare to be of any help, but at the very least the nightmare for them had ended. The Cthulhu is nearby. He is further up ahead in the cave. If you hurry, you can catch him, Ryklow said from his icy prison. Loella scrutinized the face of her captain in front of her. If this was an illusion of the captain, it was a very good one. Leaving this man, whether he was the man she knew or the Cthulhu she was after, could either help her chase down the real threat or enable the Cthulhu time to concoct an illusion that would steer Loella into some other trap or worse. Then an idea struck the senator. But once I catch him... You'll only insist that I keep this prisoner alive as well, won't you? Just like the Malinot on Regnath. The briefest moment of hesitation crossed the face of Captain Reichla before her for only but a fraction of a second. Then he quickly responded, You've seen what this Cthulhu can do, Senator. I'll accede to your judgment in this matter. Just do what you need to do to rid us of his tricks. Quickly! The captain panicked. A wry smile crossed Loella's face. Wrong answer, Cthulhu, she confidently stated. The captain's face, protruding from the ice in front of her, shook his head angrily. I, I am not the Cthulhu, Loella. This was a trap, another trap. He made me look like a Cthulhu as part of his trap. He means for you to kill me, the man in front of her yelled. Then why discard the illusion the instant that I had you frozen? Loella challenged, and incidentally, it was I 
who insisted on keeping our Malinot prisoner alive on Regnaf, something for which I know the real Captain Reichlow likely hasn't fully forgiven me. The captain's face froze, a defiant anger taking hold of his brow and scowling mouth. Drop the illusions, Kithu. I may not enjoy killing prisoners, but I'm willing to bet that you'd rather keep the tentacles I know you are trying to hide, the senator threatened, aiming her spear at a point just below the man's chin. Merfolk scum, the familiar voice of the Kithu said, as his face again dissolved smokily away into its true form. The other crewmen now were beginning to finally stand on their feet, and, to Loella's relief, she saw smoke dissolve away from another one of the men's faces, showing the black and gray beard of Captain Ryklos as he blinked several times, groggily examining the environment around him. Loella kept her spear trained at the Cthulhu's face. I believe you owe us an explanation. Who are you? Why have you attacked our vessel? She demanded. Some of the crew began slowly approaching the underground shore, watching as Loella's interrogation of the Cthulhu proceeded. The Cthulhu only angrily stared forward, unyielding in his contempt for the mermaid in front of him. His continued silence allowed Ryklo, who had finally regained his full senses, to interrupt. Senator, how did we get here? Why, why is there Cthulhu here? He inquired. Last thing I remember is we had the ship crash while I was dreaming. I awoke with, with uh, much of the rest of the crew and we took harbor in a small cove to try to take shelter from the storm. Realization came to the man's face as he turned in anger to the Cthulhu. It was him, wasn't it? The dreams? Everything we were seeing? Yes, it was him, Loella confirmed. And unless this Cthulhu wants me to describe exactly what I saw he had done to you, he is going to start answering my questions very quickly. The tentacles on the Cthulhu's face writhed in frustration. Finally, however, he spoke. I am Sir Clipsos, and no matter what you do to me, no, you never will reach the island of Roe. Loella frowned, confused. What concern is it of yours? whether or not we reach Roe. That's under the jurisdiction of the College of the Seers. You are a shadowmancer from the College of Sentinels, she insisted. Sir Clipso squinted his eyes, locking his measuring gaze with the Loellas. Do not try to deceive a sentinel, merfolk. You may have outwitted my illusions this time, but I can clearly see through yours. You know very well why I had to defend our brothers and sisters from your incursion into their seas. Loella drew back her spear slowly, deciding to level with the Cthulhu. Her icy weapon sank into the water beside her as she addressed Sir Clipsos. We are not here to invade Roe, believe it or not. We instead are in pursuit of a war criminal, an old high elf 
by the name of Zeru. We hoped to seek the wisdom of the College of Seers in divining where he may have gone. The Cthulhu blinked several times as anger disarmed by what Loella had just said. Zeru, you pursue the healer? You know of him, then? Loella asked earnestly. The fact that this Cthulhu had nearly killed them all and stripped her crew of their dignity was nearly forgotten by the promise of a possible lead on her most elusive quarry. Where has he gone? Where did you see him last? Seeing Loella's change of tone, and also beginning to shiver considerably from the ice he was in, the Cthulhu evidently decided to divulge his secrets without complaint, though still cautiously eyeing the growing crowd of humans around him. A healer did approach the board of High Sentinels recently. I was there when he was formally announced. You see, I am one of the Shrouders. The Sentinels Elite Corps of Shadowmancers? Captain Reichlow exclaimed. Little wonder he was able to cast illusions on us all, he commented gruffly. Sir Clipsos continued unfazed by the remark. My duty was to safeguard the campus grounds while Zeru conferenced with the High Sentinels. After only a short time, however, he left with his escort. What did he conference with your High Sentinels about, and where did he go? Loella implored. The Cthulhu still seemed uneasy. Glancing again at the humans he could get sight of, he hesitated. I... I am not sure... What I do know is that soon after he met with the board, I and several other shrouders were tasked with isolating the island of Roe. We were told that something horrible had happened there, and that until the crisis had passed, that we were to guard its borders from any intruders or others who might seek to exploit this situation. And as far as where this healer is, I couldn't say. He may have told the High Sentinels, but I was not privy to their meetings. Loella pondered what the Cthulhu was saying. As accomplished a deceiver as Sir Clipsos was, she couldn't think of a reason why he'd been hiding anything from her about Zeru for the time. That is, she couldn't think of a reason. Seeing her doubt, the Cthulhu shook his head. That is the truth, merfolk, whether you like it or not. And I share it because... The Cthulhu again nervously looked around him. Well, incidentally, I would like to live longer if I can. And ever since that elf came to the board, he looked at the ground. They haven't been the same. Something has changed. I used to be told everything, but now I often find myself stuck with an assignment like this one and being told only to trust the High Sentinel's judgment. And there are rumors. A shiver that seemed to do little with the ice went through Cthulhu. What rumors? What is that elf up to? Loella urgently demanded. Sir Clipsos steadily gazed at those surrounding him. After several seconds, he ultimately responded quietly with a simple, No. Captain Reichlow walked up to the Cthulhu's face menacingly. Tell the senator what she needs to know, you slime. The Cthulhu shook his head. No, it is a Cthulhu matter, and what I know are but rumors. I may not understand all my superiors' instructions, but I must protect the dignity of all my people, seers and sentinels alike. But your single vessel hardly seems to live up to my typical expectation 
of what an invading force would be like. Truly, that elf did deceive us as to my intentions. The Cthulhu again focused his gaze on Senator Loella. And that's hardly the first thing about that elf that has come off wrong with me. But even if some of what I've been hearing is true, the Cthulhu again studied the faces surrounding him. I may be interested in knowing where this elf has gone to as well. I cannot contact my brother and sister Shrouders for aid on this matter, as their assignments were not made known to me, thanks to these new safety procedures, the Cthulhu disdainfully spat. But if you will allow it, I can help personally escort you to the College of Sentinels, and there we may both be able to divine exactly the reason for all this, and hopefully even track down that elf. Loella gave a look to Captain Ryklow. She wasn't sure if he knew exactly what this Cthulhu had done to him and the rest of the crew, but as Loella gave the captain her questioning stare, asking for permission, the man answered with a few short nods. Very well, Loella decided, turning back to the Cthulhu. But do be clear on this point, Sir Clipsos. Any more illusions from you, any more tricks, and we will take our chances on our own. You will need my help to evade the defenses of the other Shrouders, Sir Clipsos argued. So yes, you could go trying to reach the college without my help. But given the state of your ship and how narrowly you avoided death, I believe you will appreciate... Having my guidance, Loella nodded. Very well, but do bear in mind, you are going to need to earn our trust. She waved her hand and willed her hydromancy to melt the base of the ice block that had trapped Sir Clipsos and began to slide him towards the water. Wait, can't you free me now? The Cthulhu asked again, panic. I said I will aid you. I think we'll all feel better if we have some sort of leverage with you until we get to the bottom of this, Loella casually explained as she froze the water near the shore, extending the new thick layer of ice onwards through the cave back towards the ship. The crew of the Penelopus began walking across it as there were no rowboats nearby. The water wasn't too deep and the Cthulhu probably had the men swim their way here while he had them under his illusions. But Loella thought that these men likely had enough of seawater for one day, and they did look grateful for the chance to stay dry. As for the Cthulhu, Loella was able to very easily bob his icy prison along with them back to the ship, floating him on top of the water. Wait, Senator, Captain! One of the men still on the shore called out. Vool is gone! We need to search for him! Loella turned her head about, concerned. Reichlow considered the officer for a moment. His uniform, like all the other Mayel uniforms, dirty and unkempt from their experience as the hogs of Sir Clipsos. We have many men that are missing, soldier, Captain Reichlow sighed. But it will take us time to repair the ship back to its proper state. If Vool and the others are still missing by then, however... The officer's shoulders sank, understanding. Loella gave an angry glare back at Sir Clipsos as his small iceberg floated in the water. There was no longer defiance on that face, but she wasn't sure if she could trust the tinges of regret she saw on it either. For now, at the very least, she had a lead to follow, even if it meant carrying someone as powerful and dangerous as Sir Clipsos on board her ship with them.
Vool found the site where the other hogs had once been some time later. Something big had changed. He had thoughts now, not like before. Before was like a messy dream, instinct and impulse. Those instincts were still there, though, but his beautiful cloven feet were gone. His hooves! Where were his hooves? And his tail? What would the other hogs think of him now? His limbs had stretched out to end in unsightly, much smaller limbs, five on each of his front feet. There were also five stubby little limbs on his back feet that he could feel. And he was dressed. The clothes on him were itchy, alien, a confining prison of fabric. Impossible. He knew he was awake now, but he was no longer the proud swine he had known himself to be. He, nightmare of nightmares, had become one of them. The overseers, the oppression, the farmers. He raced on all fours to the water, desperate to look in there and see the reflection of his large, prominent snout that had been the envy of all the other pigs his whole life. But staring back at him from the water was a monstrous face, with a devilishly small nose whose snout could not be seen properly. His eyes were disgustingly large as well, and worse, on the top of his head was a strange, unnaturally long brown fur. It was true. The hog he once was, was gone. He squealed in terror, and squealed again how scary his squeal sounded. This was not the squeal of a hog, but of an imposter. Impossible, it could not be. What magic had done this? What demon or god could have cast this curse on poor Vool, and why? He had been the grandest of hogs, yea, even the king of the pigs. But now, now he was alone, deformed, with nothing in this cave for company except the fire and... Wait, the trough, it was still there, unattended, unguarded. The welcoming smell of the old slop caressed Vool's senses, beckoning him to partake. Eagerly he galloped forward and plowed his face headfirst into the slop. He engorged himself without restraint, as if the world would end tomorrow, as if eating could restore him to his proper, dignified, pigly state. Vool! Is that you, Vool? Snap out of it! Eyes bulging in terror, Vool bursted his head from the trough and looked behind him. The overseers, they had found him. No! He shouted. Wait. He shouted. He talked. And he knew what it meant. What had happened to him? Could he speak the language of the farmers now that he was one of them? As the two farmers that grabbed him by his forelegs drew him away from the trough, however, Vool decided to care much less about this new mystery and instead raged and squealed at those who had captured him. No! 
I'm a good hog. I'm a good hog. Give me the food. I'll be all better. I promise to be a good hog. The farmers that had seized Vool shook their heads. Oh, Vool, don't worry. We'll get you some help for this. Death sight, take that, Cthulhu. He'd better be able to fix this, the farmer muttered to himself. Talking again to Vool, the farmer tried to reassure him. Don't worry, Vool. You'll never have to eat that slop again. Vool, the great hog king's eyes, bulged in rage. You! You can't do this to me! I am not a farmer! I am hog! You hear me? I am hog! But as his captors mercilessly drew Vool, the great hog king, away from his trove, they did not listen, even as Vool continued to scream, raging against them and all farmer kind. And in his heart, as they continued to drag him along an icy path, he swore to himself this, Vool, the great hog king, would one day take his vengeance. And in that day, all farmers would bow before him, just as the pigs had, and there would only be slop for Vool. Only for Vool. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Be sure to tune in next week, Thursday at 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time to hear the continuation. And as always, my three standard reminders. First, be sure to subscribe and leave a review. Second, joining us on Patreon, links in the description, helps contribute directly to covering the costs of making this production. And third, share this show with friends you know will enjoy it. Thank you for being such a kind and supportive audience, and remember, you cannot see the hero unless you know the monster.